Well, amen. It is good to see all of you this morning since we're starting Sunday school and some of our classes uh, have contacted their students because they don't want to stop after 50 minutes. And I really applaud that. Uh, and, and it's a good thing. So uh, some, some classes decide to come early and then they're going to just stay in their classroom as we begin the next uh, service. So uh, I'm glad for that. If you don't have a classroom after words out in the lobby, you can find out where uh, a good one for you might be, and uh, we encourage that. And I just, I want to make a mention of something before I get into this, and that is um, there is being a call nationally to prayer on September 26th. And we were aware of one thing, but now there's two things happening in Washington, D.C. that day. There's a 9 in the morning to 9 o'clock at night call to prayer. Uh, I don't know what all they're doing. Um, the other is simple to know what they're doing, and that is from 12 to 2, um, there's going to be a prayer march from one part of Washington uh, to the other. So uh, if you don't want to go or can go, and I'm a guy that I don't want to get in that bigger crowd personally, but I want you to be aware that we ought to be praying toward that and that, that day uh, very specifically. In fact, the group that's meeting all day is encouraging us to pray, uh, to fast for the 10 days leading up to September 26th. So I just want to lay that out as a challenge and, and something that we certainly can get behind, and that is as many Christians praying as possible uh, for God just to act and move and bring revival uh, to His church. So uh, just be aware of that. Today we are back into our foundational principles of the church, and today is Christ alone. In the Latin, it's solus Christus. And uh, if you'll open your Bibles to Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. And uh, as I said, we're, we're preaching on Christ alone. I hope you've noticed that out of these sermons that, uh, that they're an irreducible complexity. Now, that is a scientific term that disproves evolution because in our bodies, and for instance, the eye and the ability of the eye to take in images and interpret them to the brain so that we can know what we're looking uh, towards, is an irreducible complexity. And that means if one part of your eye or sight system goes bad, the whole thing shuts down. It just gets really bad really fast. It has to all work in harmony. Therefore, the complexity of it, it disproves that it could have evolved because they would have never gotten there. It had to be created perfectly and could only be messed up. So this, what we're talking about all ties into one another, and by the time I get to the end, I feel like I'm preaching the same sermon five times over because they all interlock and are inter, uh, interconnected. The first one was about Scripture alone because without Scripture alone, we have no sure word of what is right, wrong, of God, of anything, and with it, nothing else is necessary. I was reminded of a cartoon this week, and it was a, a young woman, and she was calling a, a fictional um, hotline, like a, uh, a, a prosperity doctrine hotline, and, uh, and instead she got a Puritan preacher by accident. And, uh, and he said, well, how can I help you? She said, I just need a prophetic word for myself today. And he said, well, if the prophetic word agrees with Scripture, it is unnecessary. And if it does not agree with Scripture, it's heresy. Scripture alone. That's what we mean by that. I was hoping to get a better amen out of that one. <laughs> Secondly, we talked about grace. And grace is a gift from God because salvation begins and ends in God. And, and 
very companion to that, the next week, last week, we talked about faith alone because faith is a gift of God that activates grace. It is a trust in what God has revealed. And works are a result, not a cause of our salvation. Now today, we come to Christ alone. And there was a, a, a famous and great preacher, Robert G. Lee, uh, in this politically charged climate. I want you to get that name straight because somebody might come protest us because we like a preacher named Lee. But anyway, Robert G. Lee, and uh, he had a sermon. One of his most famous sermons was on Jesus. It was, that was the title, Jesus. And he would just make this beautiful picture of Jesus. Well, Robert Lee is now with Christ, but Billy Graham and other famous preachers were there at his deathbed, and they left before he died. But one of them told the story that his daughter told later. She was the only one left with him when he left. And in those final moments of his life, his eyes opened because he had not been very awake or aware for a time. And he looked at his daughter and said, I see him. I have never done him justice. And he died. That's how I feel this morning. I got to preach about Jesus. Now, I preach about Jesus every week. I prayed this morning with Pastor Andy. I said, Lord, every sermon's about you, but today it's really about you, okay? And so I'm praying that God will take anything I do say and, and make it right in your ears and, and that the Holy Spirit would, would strike this into your heart so that so it's good. So why is, why is uh, this so important? Why is it that Christ alone is so important? Because there is no one other that can save. Only Christ can save. And listen, there, there are people and they get saved and they go, oh, I don't want all that theology. Well, theology is what tells us what saved us. It tells us who saved us. It tells us all we need. It, it helps us to understand what the Bible teaches us about God and salvation and sin and grace and faith and even our giving and our living and all the things that we do. And so when others come and they claim Christ, you know, most religions actually claim Christ or some idea about Christ. I, I look some of them up. Muslims believe that Jesus is a prophet and he's a Muslim, even though Islam came later, uh, and, and that uh, but that he did not die and was resurrected. They don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which um, is kind of important because without it, there is no salvation. The Buddhists, the, they believe that Buddhism influenced Christianity because he was before Christ was born. And not only that, but there is no God at all. They just believe he was a type of a Buddha. And it, in fact, if you tend toward believing that, it was 700 years after Buddha died before they ever wrote down anything he supposedly said. 700 years they believed the stories were transmitted before anybody started writing them down. The Bible was written by eyewitnesses of the event in the presence of other eyewitnesses who could have said, that's not right. In fact, I've told you before, I'll tell you again, uh, Christmas is coming and then Easter and you will see news reports in magazines and on television and specials on TV. Was Jesus real? Did he die? Was he all this stuff? And then they'll tell you, you know, there's another book that was written in the same days of Christ and it, and it says this, which contradicts the Bible. Yeah, we know. We knew it back then. It was rejected by those who had seen Christ and knew Christ and those who were their disciples and said that's not the way it was. And so Buddhism, but they think that Jesus is a type of a Buddha and that for that reason you ought to know Christ, but he's not the son of God. He didn't die for our sins or anything else. Well, they didn't know about that when Buddha was around anyway. 
Mormons believe that Jesus is Satan's brother. And uh, it, it, so, you know, and then one brother went bad. You know how brothers are. And, uh, and, and that we can one day be like Jesus uh, in an exalted form. And that's why you got to get married to a lot of women and have a lot of children. So there will be bodies for souls to come and invade. It's, it's weird. Anyway, uh, and they change week to week. So, you know, you can look it up for this week what they believe. Jehovah Witnesses, they believe there's only one God and Jesus ain't it. They believe Jesus was created as the archangel Michael before the worlds existed. And that he is a lesser but a mighty God, but he is not the God. And by the way, the word Jehovah is not found in the Bible. It is a, it is a, it is a combination of the name of God and the word Lord. And so I don't know who they're witnessing about because that's not his name. His name is Yahweh, not, not Jehovah. Jehovah is a title made up by men. Just saying. <clears throat> and then... The prosperity doctrine that is so rampant today is Jesus is just a heavenly gumball machine that will give you your best life now. But here's, here's what I want you to take home with you today. It's kind of long. You may not remember all this. If you have nothing but you have Christ, you have all things. But if you have everything and do not have Christ, you have nothing. You've got to understand that's what we're talking about. So you're in the book of Acts, chapter 4 and verse 12. And I, I want you to listen to this verse. We're going to go to another verse, but it's only about five words long, the second verse. So we don't have to turn there right now. But Acts 4.12 says this. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved it is christ alone it is in christ alone and as we look at what our understanding of god and, and christ out of scripture and understand salvation is a gift and he gives us the faith to activate the grace and it's all about christ that is the 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 object of our grace it is the object he is the object of our faith that is the only place for salvation is in christ look at the words again in verse 12 this is such a compact but powerful Verse, there is salvation in no one else. Buddha won't cut it. Muhammad won't cut it. Allah does not exist. Well, he does, but his name is something else. And, and all of these religions, they distort what the Bible says about Christ. And if you don't know that, you'll have some nice people in nice clothes come to your house on a Saturday and give you a pamphlet that says the Trinity is not real because the word Trinity is not in the Bible, even though the Bible talks about the Father, talks about the Son, talks about the Holy Spirit. And they have a real problem with Jesus getting baptized at the Jordan where God spoke from heaven. The Holy Spirit descended on Jesus' shoulder as a dove, and he was standing in the water. That's three people. Okay, so it's not that complicated, but they'll come and they'll use different words and confuse you or some nice people on a bicycle and dark clothes and, and a white shirt and a tie and, and they will try to convince you that, that there's another gospel, a Book of Mormon and Jesus, after his resurrection, came to the North American, witnessed to the, to the natives here and that, oh, I don't, like I said, they're, they're complicated. And, 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 and so it's always, the gospel is simple. I read it this morning in my devotion. This is the gospel. Jesus lived. He died for our sin. He was buried on the third day. He rose again. That's the gospel. And then he ascended into heaven. That's it. 
You don't need to complicate. You don't need to add to it. You don't need to take, it, take anything from it. Jesus embodies the gospel. And there is no one else who could save. No one else has the power to save, including the religion of the Old Testament. Now, I'm very careful how I said that because the Old Testament is God's word and, and, and Christ is in there. But the religion that God gave to the Jewish people was to point them towards Jesus. And they thought that that religion was the end of all things. But as we see in Colossians, which we'll read later, Christ is all in all. The, the, the Old Testament uh, religious was symbolic of who Christ would be and what he would do, and, and Christ is all in there. Notice also in verse 12, it says, Not only is there salvation in no one else, there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So there is no other name. I've already mentioned them, and, and we can mention more. There are today, current day, and I, and I don't know their names current day, but you can think in your lifetime, there are men that stood up and said they were Christ or a type of Christ. And some of them met uh, very horrible deaths. Some of them uh, killed themselves. Um, but men like Jim Jones and others that led many people astray and led them to believe that they had truth that no one else had. Let me tell you, if somebody tells you they've got the exclusive truth, don't believe them. This is the exclusive truth. Listen, I, I have a set of beliefs, and I've been wrong, but I've never been in doubt, okay? But I know this. I don't, that's why I don't want you to believe everything I say. I want you to look in the Scripture and see if I'm lying. Because I won't be lying on purpose, so if I, you catch me in some, come talk to me about it. Because I've missed it, and, and I messed it up, and I want to get it right. Because the Scripture alone is, who we're, is what we're talking about, and Christ alone is the person we're talking about. If we don't get Scripture right, we don't get Christ right, as proven by these other religions. So there is no other name. You can't be saved in the name of Baptist. You can't be saved in the name of I got baptized. You can't be saved by saying, oh, I believe in God. You can't be sincere enough to be saved. You can't be born into salvation by your parents. You can be born again into salvation by the Holy Spirit into Christ. But it is in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. And it is in Him that all the things that God wants to give us is given. And, I, and leads me into the last verses, the last words of the verse, by which we must be saved. It doesn't say might be saved. Doesn't even say can be saved, it says must be. There is, that is the only must. There is no other cans, by the way. If Jesus is the must, then there are no other cans. You said, what? If Jesus is the only name by which you have to be saved, there is no other but you could be saved by this. There is no but there. There is no, you could be saved or cans be saved. It is only in Christ, according to this verse. Do you see the exclusivity of Jesus in this verse? There's no room for anything else. There's nothing else. And I want you to look at Colossians, and I'll have more to say about Christ and, and less out of the actual uh, Scripture and, and exegeting it. But the end of verse 11 of Colossians chapter 3, and the lead-up to that, it says uh, bef uh, before that, he says in verse uh, 9, Don't lie with one another, seeing you've put off the old self with its practices, put on the new self, being renewed in knowledge, and after the image of its creator. Verse 11, Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Christ is all and in all. There is nothing outside of Christ. And so 
in Christ, we all stand equal. There, there's no distinctions. There's not black or white or brown or yellow or red. There's not, there's not rich or poor. There's not nationality. There is only you're either in Christ or you're not. And that's what the Bible sees. And, and now the Bible speaks of different roles for different people. But, the, but we are all in Christ and salvation is equal to us all. And so in this verse, in these few words, Christ is the subject. He should be the subject of our lives. There's no other name. There's no other name so sweet as the name of Jesus. I, I'm telling you, when you just meditate on Christ and say his name, Lord Jesus, it just brings fresh air of heaven in, into your life. There is no one else. Christ is the subject of all of our life and all of our attention, but he is also the verb, all is the verb in this verse. He is all fullness. He is all sweetness. He is all that's imaginable. He's all that is desirable. And to have Christ, you cannot have any more. Once you have Christ, there's nothing more to have. You see, we are so earthly minded, we don't understand what God has prepared for us. We think we have to have stuff now. And I'm a stuff guy, okay? I like stuff. You can just go to my office, you can see all the coffee mugs. You can begin to understand. I get interested in something, and all of a sudden I get a bunch of them. So I got coffee mugs gone to bed, and people still give them to me, and I still buy them. I got one coming uh, Monday, in fact. I'm going to get one. I've got one that says, what's wrong with you people? You know, and that's just my reminder, like... What's going on there? Listen, friend, I'm a stuffed guy, but I'm telling you this. Guess what's going to happen? I'm going to die and leave it all. It does not really add that much to my life. And once you have Christ, there's nothing more to have. There's nothing more you need, in fact. Once Christ is all in all, you cannot have any more. And in Romans eleven thirty six, the Bible, and, and I'm going to just say a lot of verses. So, you, you won't be able to keep up, but you can write down the reference. Romans eleven thirty six. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Christ is all. He brings to us all things. He gives us everything we need. Christ brings to us righteousness, 1 Corinthians 1.30. And in that same verse, it says he also brings us sanctification. That is that I was a, I was a sinner. I was a depraved man. The, everything I did was, was ugly and dirty in his sight. Even the good stuff I did. I did it out of selfish motivation. I wanted other people to like me. And even if I could attempt to do it in an anonymous way because I really didn't want attention, then I still feel good about what I did. Christianity is about what God does through us, not what we do. And, and again, we get so minded. And, and so even our righteousness was sin against God because we're taking some sort of credit. Even if we don't tell anybody else but ourselves that we did something good. All we can say is God enabled me to do something good. Do you understand? All glory, because the last thing we're going to cover next week is to God alone be the glory. Jesus said, I will turn all judgment. The Bible says he'll turn all judgment then to the Father that the Father might be glorified all in all. And so Jesus is the one who brings this to us and connects us with God. He is our righteousness. He saves us and he gives us his righteousness. My sin was given to Christ and Christ gave me his righteousness. It's as if I ran up a huge bill on my credit card and I could not pay it. And someone else had uh, plenty of resources, and they said, you know what? My balance is zero. I'll give you my card, and I'll take your card and pay for it. 
Well, wow, that's a very small example to say what Jesus did. But the Bible says, He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. And 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, He brings us His righteousness. He is our righteousness. And He brings us sanctification. Now, if you're like me, I grew up in church, but I was pretty grown up before I ever knew what that word meant. Sounded real good when the preacher said it, but I didn't know what he meant. Here's what sanctification means. That is the word for holy. It means he separates us and makes us holy. And again, even saying that word, we might be a little bit misunderstood uh, because holiness means separation. That, that's what the basic meaning of the word is. And so in Hebrew uh, culture and language, if you said something once, you ought to be telling the truth. If you said it twice, man, you can take that to the bank. But if you said it three times, it was perfect. Now I take your mind to Isaiah chapter 6 when Isaiah sees heaven and he sees angels flying above God's head in a constant circle singing out for eternity. They were doing it when Isaiah was alive. They were doing it when Jesus was here and they'll be doing it when we get to heaven at the end of day singing holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Holy, 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 perfect in holiness, perfect in separation. There is no God but Yahweh. There is no God but Christ. There is no God but the Holy Spirit. The three in one, the Trinity, and no one else. And when he sanctifies us, he separates us for himself. He says, you're mine, and you don't belong to the world. You don't belong to the devil. I've redeemed you, I've bought you, and I will not let him have you. You're mine, and he separates us for God. And we grow in that and we look more and more like Jesus the longer we live. You remember when they said, hey, should you pay taxes to Caesar? And Jesus said, hand me a coin. He said, whose image is that? And they said, that's Caesar. He said, well, then give Caesar what belongs to him. And give to God what belongs to him. You see, there's coming a day where God's going to look at the coin of our life and he better see Jesus. Because he is sanctifying us. He is our sanctification. In Ephesians 1, 6, the Bible tells us that Jesus brings us acceptance with God. God could not even look at sin. The Bible says that he was so holy, he can't look on sin. That's why it went dark at the cross. When Jesus became sin, God shut heaven. And Jesus cried out, Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The crucifixion, and, and he's reminding us of the Messianic Psalm, Psalm 22, of, of the Messiah's suffering and death on a cross for us. And so, by doing so, he turned God's frown into a smile because he took all the sin that we should pay for, and he paid for it. And, the, and Isaiah, again, says, it pleased God to bruise him for our sin and our transgression. It made God pleased to do that. And I, I, I just was aware of this thought this this week I, I i had read it i had known it and all of a sudden i just saw it in a new light you know hebrews 12 1 2 it says that jesus for the joy set before him endured the cross do you understand that he got joy out of obeying the will of god and he was so tuned into just doing God's will that it brought him joy to die on a cross not for us not because oh I'm going to get them saved but because it is what the father required and it brought him joy but it cost the cross and to do that we get only the benefit we get salvation from that 
And so now he has turned where God couldn't even look at us because of our sin. Now the Father can look at us with love because of Jesus. And that's Ephesians 1, 6. He brings to us assistance. Now this is a verse that's been ripped out of context more and more and more. It's Philippians 4, 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That is not to pass a math test. That is to live a holy life before God. Paul said, I've had a lot, I've had little, I've been good, I've been bad, I've got all that. I've suffered a lot, I've been through both ease and trouble, wealth and poverty, but Christ is the one who enables me to take whatever is coming at me in the will of God. You gotta understand, it's more than just our piddling things that we say. It doesn't make an athlete run faster. Unless, for some reason, God wants you to run faster. And that's a possibility, I understand that. But we misapply it so much. No, as you struggle against sin, as you struggle to live the life that God has laid before you and to be a witness and to pray and to, and to do all the things that God calls us to do, it is Christ who strengthens you to be able to do that. You don't have enough power in yourself to do anything. And so in that sense, the, it, the, even the misinterpretation is correct. It is Christ who empowers us to do whatever is needed for the will of God. He brings us peace in John 15, 27. In this world you have difficulty, but in me you have peace. Be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. When I was growing up, where I was from, people would always say, how's the world treating you? I don't know if anybody here ever said that or heard that said to them. And once I understood that, I started looking at it and go, horribly. The world is treating me terrible, but God treats me well. Because in this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world, and in me, you have peace. He brings us peace in the midst of this world, and he brings us renumeration. Revelation twenty-two twelve. he brings us reward with him, and he rewards his saints. What is our reward? Our reward is Christ himself. Our reward is not heaven. Our reward is not things on this earth. Our reward is we will see Christ. And he will bring our payment to us then. He will give us, if we've lived for him, he will bring us the crowns and all that. And then when we realize that everything that we are being rewarded for was because of what he did, we will take the crowns off and cast them at his feet for he alone is worthy. And we'll understand that he is all in all. All right? Well, and then I want you to see that a man without Christ lacks all things. You may be sitting there going, yeah, well, all that's good, but I'm okay. Well, a man without Christ lacks justification. And in Acts 13, uh, 39, you cannot be, uh, no God, you cannot be saved, you cannot have your sins taken away except in Christ. I, I think that verse is important enough for me to read. Uh, let me turn to it. Acts 13, 39. Sorry, just got to find it here. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sin is proclaimed to you. It is only through Christ that you can get forgiveness of sin. The, the world today just says, oh, you just feel guilty. And, and that's just because, you know, you've you're, you're, you got to believe differently and then you won't feel guilty. Well, I, I, I've never met a person who didn't feel guilty. And do you know why we feel guilty? Because we are guilty. And we need somebody to pay for our sin. And Jesus did that for us. So we now, as a Christian, I may feel guilty, but I'm not, even though I am. I, can, I, I, I get it. I did it. But in God's eyes, 
Christ has paid for that. And so I come to him and I thank him and I repent. And I turn away from our sin and I turn towards Christ. Because he has paid for the sin for me. How would you like if somebody bought you a car or a house or some paid for your meal and you just got up and walked away? You didn't even say thank you. Man, when you realize what God paid for for you, you will never stop saying thank you. Because he is our salvation. A man without Christ, he lacks the beauty of holiness. That's John 1.16. It's just obvious, as I said. You cannot have any, you cannot do anything that pleases God without Christ. And, and Christ said, without him, I can do nothing. Without me, you can do nothing. We like the beauty of holiness. In, in, in Hebrews eleven sixteen, 16, we, like, we have no true nobility without Christ. You see, as a Christian, I'm a son of God. I am an heir of, God, of Christ. I am a joint heir with Christ. I'm an heir of God. Without Christ, you can be called a king, but that doesn't make you a king. It makes you a ruler by some means. But you have no nobility. You lack freedom. In John 8, 36, the truth of the Scripture and the truth of Christ sets us free. And a man who without Christ says, oh, I don't believe in that. Religion's restrictive, and I can't do what I want to do. No, you're doing what the devil wants you to do. That's what Jesus says in, in that text. He says, you're of your father, the devil. I do what my father tells me, and you're doing what your father, the devil, tells you to do. You see, no man is truly free. People believe in a free will of man. Adam had a free will, and Jesus had a free will. The rest of us are in slavery. And you're either in slavery to Satan, or you're enslaved to God. And if you're enslaved to Satan, all you can do is evil. If you're enslaved to God, you can do righteousness. And so, without God, without Christ, we have no freedom. We have freedom in Christ. What does freedom mean in Christ? It means the power to do what we ought to do. It doesn't mean to do what we want to do, because my heart's deceitful and desperately wicked. If I did what I wanted to do, I'd always do sin. But God gives us a redeemed heart and freedom or power to do what we ought to do. That's true freedom. The power... I can quit any time I want to. <laughs> you, you had a relative ever said that? I had a cousin dying of cancer in the hospital bed with his wife holding a cigarette to his mouth saying, I can quit any time I want to. He lacks ability. John 15, 5, apart from Christ you can do nothing. A man without Christ, he lacks consolation. In Luke 2, 25, Jesus brings us consolation. He sends the Holy Spirit who is our other comforter. The Bible tells us that, that we do not mourn as those who have no hope. We mourn for sure, but we don't mourn as those who have no hope. We have, we have the presence of God in our life. Remember Paul, he, he said he asked God three times to take away that thorn in the flesh, and the third time God said, my grace is sufficient for you. God's comfort is enough for us in the midst of our pain. And sometimes God relieves our pain, and that's always a great thing. But he is our consolation, he's our comforter. And apart from Christ, you have no salvation, and we've covered that. Ephesians 5, 23, you have no salvation apart from Christ. Well, what can you do with all this today? First of all, Philippians 3, 8, and I, I do want to read these, and you can turn there if you wish. Philippians 3, 8, set a high value on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put a high value on knowing him. In verse 8 of Philippians chapter 3, Paul said, Indeed, I count everything as loss 
because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I've suffered loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Set a high value on Christ. He is worth giving up all lands and money and prestige and power and fame because he alone can save us. He alone can be our Lord. Make sure that you have Christ. In Ephesians, in these verses, at least these are pretty close. Ephesians 3, 8. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach the, to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Make sure you have Christ so that you have something to offer to others. We, we pursue a lot of things. And, uh, and, and, and a lot of times when you're single, you want to get married. A young person who's single, a lot of times they, you know, girls are looking, you know, we, the joke is when they go to college, they're looking for an MRS degree, right? Uh, and guys, you know, they, they want to get married as well, especially Christian young men. A friend of ours, uh, their son, um, has a girlfriend, which is amazing. The guy lived with us for three months, and I think he said five words in three months, and that is not an exaggeration. But here's what he said about, I guess it's pretty serious. He said, run for God as hard as you can, and when you see somebody running beside you, introduce yourself. That's what we're talking about. I thought that summed it up well. We just saw that this morning, but that sums it up, man. Just run at Christ. Paul said, this one thing I do, I aim for Christ and I run for him, and I don't let anything get in the way of that. And lastly, set your, see your need of Christ and then surrender to Christ. Understand your need, and when you do, surrender to him. Just give up everything else. He may ask you to give it away. He may ask you to let you keep it. I don't know. But we have, to, we have to own everything in the world with an open hand to let God hold us in his hand. And when you have Christ, you have no need of anything else. I'm not saying run out and do something just to be doing it. You ought to follow the will of God. But no matter what the will of God asks for, you ought to say yes. The Christian only should have on his head, yes, Lord. That ought to be our byword, yes, Lord. I love what Mary said to the angel. Said, be it done unto your servant, as God has said. And then at the first miracle of Jesus, Mary looks at the servants and do, said, do whatever he tells you. Mary is an example of Christ alone. She gave up her reputation. She gave up uh, all things to serve Christ and to serve God. And then that was her motto and her byword in the few times we see her speak and so i pray that today you will know christ in the beauty of his holiness you will know him in the in the in the fellowship of his suffering but in the power of his resurrection father god in jesus name i pray for everybody that is hearing this whether they're in this room with me or they may hear it later or today or looking at it right now on some electronic means but lord We want to make much of you and less of ourselves. And we just thank you, that, Lord Jesus, that you loved 
the Father enough. You said in the scripture it is written of you in the volume of the book that to do your will I have come. And so Lord Jesus when you came we are so self-centered we like to think you loved us so much you came for us but you came at the will of God to die for the sinner's sin and pay and redeem us out of the marketplace of the world to yourself that we could be trophies of your grace that we could belong to you and if we belong to you then we ought to glorify God in our mortal bodies for we were bought with a price and that price was the cross your death and your burial and then your resurrection and the gospel is nothing else but that that you are God in the flesh and you proved it by coming back from the dead Buddha didn't do it. Muhammad didn't do it. Allah doesn't exist. The Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses distort it. Prosperity doctrine distorts it, Lord. And sometimes we distort it. And may we be careful how we talk about you. May we talk about you as you are in the word, not as you are in our imagination, for that's an idol. But as you say you are in the word, Lord, may we see you. May we see you clearly. We may serve you absolutely and surrender our lives to you. And if you're lost today, if you don't know Jesus, today's the day to cry out to him. Because he said, anyone who calls to me, I will come. And, and he will come to you and he will bring you salvation. He will feed you. He will give you the heavenly water so you thirst no more. And he will fill you with his righteousness and holiness if you will let him. Lord, those of us who have been through that and know you, Lord, may we not forget it. May we not May we not let that leave our mind. May we never think that something else will satisfy us. For if we have you, we have all things. And Lord, we, we thank you that in you, as we enjoy the things that you've created, that we enjoy them better. They're sweeter. They're, the colors are more beautiful. Because we understand the will of God and that you are with us. Lord, we thank you that you have given all things for our enjoyment. But our, our focus and our main enjoyment is in you. We enjoy all things through you. You are all in all, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.